Hello, I'm Sami Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. My guest on today's podcast is Bunglo. He's what you call an alpha caller in the Web3 space. Together, we explore what alpha calling means and how this role is evolving given the changing nature of Web3 business models. Whether you're a seasoned Web3 enthusiast or completely new to this space, I think you will really enjoy this conversation. So Bunglo, that's your uh, stage name, <laughs> when you, like how we would say, I used to be in a death metal band, how, how we would say, it, but it's your Web3 name. Um, so let's, let's get started with the name. Where did that name come from? Oh, that's an interesting story. So yeah, it's, it's a shortened version of what my friends used to call me in high school. And it was based on some activities that we would enjoy doing. And yeah, it kind of stuck. And then, I don't know, I guess my brother adopted it and it followed me over here to Texas. And then like when I first moved over here, because my brother was already at college over here, I came in and there was like themed stuff of it everywhere. So everyone was already calling me like it here as a joke. So it just carried through. But yeah, it's funny that it's the name that most people that I communicate with know me by now. Very cool. So for people listening to this that may not be familiar with the Web3 culture, you are what we would call an alpha caller in Web3 or, or in the NFT culture, I suppose it's, it's a better way of putting it. Um, can you explain to people what an alpha caller is and um, how long you've been an alpha caller and what is it? How long have you been in it? And and throughout this journey over the past, um, you know, months and maybe I'm guessing just over a year, maybe, you know, of, of doing it, how has that role culture kind of shifted? Cool. So I think, I think the definition of an alpha caller is somewhat fluid. Um, and that goes along with the, the latter side of your question. Uh, I first started alpha calling, I'd say, Honestly, right, right when everything fell off back in like uh, end of April, um, and then essentially when I came into the space, I have a background in microbiology and not too much traditional experience and education in finance and tech. And so, coming into the space, I was super, super curious, and these were like brand new worlds to dive into. And so my road to alpha calling was essentially me exploring and bringing people along with uh, like with me while I was doing it. And that sort of leads like feeds into my beliefs around it where it's like, I'm here to learn and understand the fundamentals. And so that was one thing that, that I didn't necessarily find. And so that's one thing that I instill in what I do. Um, but yeah, so I'd say an alpha caller is someone that understands the market, understands social and cultural dynamics and hype cycles and indicators within financial markets. Um, and honestly, the biggest skill and ability of an alpha caller isn't noticing and using the indicators, but the ability to actually notice them, compact that information into something consumable and disperse that out to um, viewers for them to to take it on and, and actually um, either partake in in the investment or the position or just learn from it. Um, and so we have the classic do your own research NFA. Um, and and in terms of how this how alpha calling has changed, it's actually changed a lot 
to my liking um, and especially because I came in right after the bull market when things were really just surface level um, because everything was just going on so fast. And so when I came in, I, I wasn't finding the education and the understanding that I wanted. <clears throat> and if you wanted to learn about a project, you had to, you couldn't search them up on Google. You had to read from their website. Um, and that just doesn't make sense, especially with my science background. There's no open source information to actually understand anything. There's no data to understand how things work. And it just, it doesn't make sense how things were working without those fundamentals. Um, and so that was sort of my goal was to come in. And initially I was just sort of bringing people along with me, but then I started to scope in on certain parts of what I was doing that I saw as really valuable and really important for people to understand. And coming from a background without financial uh, topics being front and center, things like macroeconomics and how the Fed's decision-making in the FOM speech is affecting like me in the crypto industry or me even going down to the service station. I never even considered thinking about that before. Um, and now I think about it every day and that's super powerful. And that is one, like an example of one skill or just one thought pattern that I try to pass on to others through my alpha calling. Um, just so you're more aware of the world around you of society, how it works. Um, and then in a more niche sense, how web three works. Mm. Okay. So you mentioned that it has changed to your liking or to not to your liking. So is it changed? Is it better now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Better. So I actually, I went on a panel last week with a few uh, other like pretty solid alpha callers throughout the space. And, and we actually discussed a lot of these things. The main topic was like the future of, of uh, alpha calling. And what was really promising was everyone was backing in the education and open source information sort of approach that I was taking um, and moving away from the exclusivity, which I have always been sort of leaning against, but has always been embedded within alpha calling as one of sort of the core narratives and like uh, ways that it work in which if you call people have this theoretical number in their mind where if you call for more than this many projects, then it's like you sort of corrupt yourself as a caller. But I think limiting the sharing of information is only something that diminishes growth within the space. And so, yes, I'd say in terms of how people are projecting the future, they're look, thinking about things way more critically and way more clearly in terms of not being stuck in that niche sort of mindset of being in Web3 and wanting to fit that Web3 template. Um, I think if we want to really scale, we don't need to fit the templates that have been formed within Web3. We need to break out and form new templates that can cater for Web3 as well as the wider public and, and the wider economy. Um, and... And so just as the nature of, of the market having a slight downturn, <clears throat> I've, and especially because it's been a, like quite a long time now, especially this year, the frequency of drops is way lower. Quality has gone up. And myself with CK um, in the Builders Block, which is one show that we do, it, we're sort of like a funnel for, web, for founders coming in um, from Web2. And I've seen some really, really big talent and 
So that's the first question I, I always ask is like, what was it that you saw that motivated you to drop what you're doing in Web2, that empire that you're building and coming here? Um, because identifying those things is what is going to make the light bulb go off for everyone else as well. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding and, and um, experience of alpha callers has been that generally these are people uh, who are in various communities um, that other people rely on them to decide whether to buy into a project or not. And, and that's a massive responsibility. And we talked a little bit about this with CK yesterday, because then if you're known at, as that person, then you could get approached by various communities, various creators, maybe some of your friends, and they essentially want you to help them sell their project. How do you deal with those dilemmas? Yeah, so the ethical questions and the moral questions, that's one thing that I found weighs really, really heavily on me, um, just subconsciously. Just thinking about that, worrying about, and especially early on before I'd sort of built those calluses to to the way that I think when I'm calling and stuff. But yeah, it's it's tough. I hate losing people money. Um, and with that, when I started alpha calling, I was calling for a very <clears throat> exclusive group of like uh, higher socioeconomic individuals, uh, whales essentially. And so I was calling predominantly projects that I couldn't participate in um, but were big money and so like I just remember one time I called this project and I bought one and this dude came in the chat and he said I just swept 50 this better rip and I'm like it went to zero and so I felt really really bad and then he didn't care whatsoever um, and that moment that he was really we had a great conversation after and that was honestly an eye-opening moment and that was the first time I'd felt that as well um, and it didn't feel good but it made me pivot in the way that I approach alpha calling in terms of uh, the relationship between quality and frequency um, and, and just the way that I, that I actually view it because I was still trying to fit a template at that point. I was trying to fit because I was still finding my feet. I was trying to fit a template of an alpha caller. But when I realized that that template doesn't even exist yet and you can break out of it that's when you can start to put your own morals and ethics at play and that's where I saw like a lack of ethics in terms of the thought around transparency because it's fine like it's not financial advice but it's essentially financial advice people callers are afraid to get more personal in it they want to stick to the rigid template and the data and stuff but I feel like when you write just your pure thoughts and are, and are completely genuine and subjective in your terms, but objective in terms of the data and the information, just essentially a scientific um, analysis point of view, um, then I feel like that's the best approach you can take. And if you explain your thinking in that way and people understand that, then they see how you got to that to that uh, point through your thought pattern. Then it's then I think you strip away. 90% of the ethical and moral, moral questions just by explaining the whole process. Um, and so like in terms of when people come to see me, usually I kick it back because I don't even have time to look at it because I'm so busy. Um, but even with that, I'd say just maintaining objectivity um, 
because that's the hard thing. Like they might bring you something solid, but just because they brought it to you, you don't even want to touch it or look at it. Um, but like I said, with the builder's block before as well, I've sort of added different differentiation into my content to cater for this. So there's like the more exclusive and personal content I do. And then there's a scaled approach where I'm trying to fill that open source hole um, where there's not publicly available information and say for that, I'm not directly pushing anyone financially or charging anything financially. So I honestly don't mind too much ethically there to to sit in the middle and, and talk to founders. And I, I find talking to founders and actually talking to people involved, you get a much better idea of motive, motives, incentive uh, for them and for the value they're providing community. And just hearing those fundamental sort of views from a founder's head, you build a picture of like why they moved into the space, what they're doing here and like whether they want to be here for the long term. And I find that that is a very, very valuable piece of information that isn't necessarily included because of these moral questions of not talking to the team and not talking to the founder. Um, and so actually working through them, I, I did break down some of the friction and found some value in it too. So that's kind of interesting. So you don't charge, uh, you you make sure like from an ethical point of view. So alpha calling is not something that you would make money from it. Yes, you would make money from the communities that you're calling for. But say someone reaches out um, and they offer money to call, that's like, that's another like whole part of the niche sort of etiquette and stuff where it's called a shiller and it's essentially the bad side of alpha calling because you're just getting paid to call stuff, putting people at risk. Um, so how do you make money? So I've focused on diversifying my revenue streams this year just as wide as I can. Um, I've sort of moved some, not moved out of the alpha calling world, but I'm working more on founding and building my projects. But as a core alpha caller, you, with the exclusivity in mind, uh, which I'd say is how it works for most of the space, between one to five groups, you would be a core part of, and then those are the groups you would call for, and then you'd be on their payroll. So you'd be getting like a monthly wage or something from them. Um, and a lot of a lot of positions don't pay, especially now. Um, a lot of positions pay in whitelists and and such. I try to try to s- stick to where I can uh, put in a lot of time and build more. Um, and add more value so that I can actually get some sustainable revenue. So, okay, let me try and understand this better. So, because when you say you'll be on their payroll, um, isn't isn't the alpha calling something that happens before they have a mint? And after they do have the mint, why do they need an alpha caller still? Okay, okay. So the structure that it works is the calling for a project before mint would be a call that goes out to other servers, not within the server that uh, is the actual project that's minting. So after the fact of minting, that's when you actually onboard alpha callers as a value proposition for your community. So your community have paid to buy your pass. um, And then one of their value props is having these high quality financial advisors essentially within your community that only holders of this pass have access to. Um, 
And the way that it works now, it's kind of funny because there's different names that have different sort of like uh, value tied to them. And then alpha calling, <clears throat> it's always multiple or various callers. So then it's sort of like a package deal, like because they'll call for, for multiple places. Um, but say one place might only have these three people um, all together, which provides a lot of a lot of value. And and yeah, so I'd say for the most part, in terms of generating revenue, like everything else, it's just through the speculation of whether their calls are going to be good. And then that is essentially leveraged ETH on top of the NFT. But it's it's not clear in terms of where the revenue actually starts and where it ends uh, with alpha calls. Okay. Okay. So I'm starting to better understand this. So so basically, and there is one role which is before a community has minted where uh, they engage you to go into other servers and, and talk about them and, you know, maybe mention them uh, in passing or, you know, I'm guessing uh, maybe more formally. Um, and then after that, they will bring you into their community so that you can inform their members or their holders of other opportunities. Is that right? S sort of. No, not where they originate within the community in question. So usually if an alpha caller calls a project ethically, they'll want to have no affiliation with the project that they're calling. And so they will be part of this postman project and then they will look out into the market, look for what's popping, look for where the thought leaders are sort of dipping their hands into and say they find an early project that has backing from a solid VC and, and has ties to like Bentley Motors um, and it only has 400 followers. And they look at that and they're like, oh, this is promising. You go into the website, you get a little bit of information. <clears throat> and that process of gathering information is one skill to finding the indicators to look for. Summarize that, put package it the way you like, and then you send that to the groups that pay you for alpha calling. And then so... You, that's where you would find this pre-mint project that you would call is you would be finding it on Twitter or on YouTube or wherever or through the articles that I create, which is that open source thing that I'm trying to create. Um, and so then it comes down to a lot of this interconnected social network where it's like the thought leaders are also the head marketers and also the role models. And so like, a lot of these projects will come in and tap into these huge public figures within the space. And so that's sort of a large indicator for alpha calls. It's like, if these people are affiliated, then it's going to be solid. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, when I think about how the space has been, um, it, it, it's making me realize how un, uh, unconventional I am and the way I'm building my business. You know, So, so that's quite interesting to see. Um, I mean, we have, uh, to date, we have had over 24,000 people logged into our platform and I have never used or engaged in uh, in anything like this. So this has been quite interesting to to uh, hear and learn. Um, okay, so looking at where the space is, is going and how it's evolving, um, I think that the hyper-financialization of uh, NFTs is something that is um, kind of being exposed a little bit in that, um, you know, people are realizing that there is more value. I mean, I say people, I mean, creators um, 
are realizing that there's more value to using uh, the power of tokenization and token economy to, um, it, you know, to build unique experiences for their um, holders. But they are also realizing that they can't really scale it. They can't scale their businesses if these tokens are tradable. And so um, uh, because especially with what's happening with with the royalties. So I can I can say with a high degree of certainty that most likely some of the biggest challenges that even some of the biggest brands, including Proof, Moonbirds, you know, all, all these other brands are, are facing right now is because of this whole um, royalty is becoming kind of basically optional, which means that mm -hmm. most people are not going to pay. Um, and and in, in the truth is that, uh, you know, royalties are, it's a weird one because first of all, you're making money when people leave your community. And secondly, when people are leaving, they are usually leaving because they're not happy about something. Either they're not happy about something or they need the money, right? Um, and in both cases, they are incentivized not to pay royalty. So it just doesn't quite work out, even if we were to solve the technical part of it. So with that hyper-financialization of NFTs going away, how do you see that impacting the role of, for example, an alpha caller? I think when I'm looking at it is that I think most alpha callers will end up becoming more of a marketing advisor, you know, like more like helping with community building and kind of like becoming more kind of like more more meaningful more more interesting to be honest also right but i'd like to hear your thoughts you know on this um how nft started as a super hyper financialized asset to now going to well it's not exactly an asset it's more like you know it's like your membership into something uh, you become part of a community and then all of a sudden people are going to realize well if i'm not making money from it why do i need to be in so many communities right like i'm uh, i'm only going to pick a few that similar to kind of like web2 models of uh, subscription except that here you will also get some additional perks you know through that token economy basically yeah so so tell me a little bit about your thoughts on this how it all started uh, with this hyper-financialization and whether you think it is going away and with it going away, how you think uh, this role will change? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I think about this a lot and I take these questions in heavily when I'm considering how I want to structure my movement forward. Um, and I think the most fundamental answer on covering all scales, whether it's like actual understanding of the topic of like you were talking about creator royalties and, and NFTs and just everything within this space, diversifying it by not putting everything under one, uh, one term. I feel like with that whole conversation, everyone's talking about do NFTs need creator royalties? Well, are you talking about one-on-ones from an artist or are you talking about a 10,000 PFP collection from Lamborghini or from Audi? And it's like the nature of those are completely different, require completely different things, shouldn't be in the same conversation. So diversify thoughts um, and the way that we actually see the space and then diversification in revenue. I think the fact that so many projects were relying on royalties for sustainability is really, really scary. The fact that these projects are coming forward and saying like, there's no way, I guess if you have 10% and that's quite significant, but even then it's such an inconsistent form 
of revenue because you can't tell the market the market um, sentiment in the future. And like we saw with FTX, anything can happen at any time to make the penny drop and drop off the volume. So yeah, that's why I've been focusing on what I've been focusing on in terms of diversifying my own revenue, just making it as diversified as possible. But yeah, I see this hyper financialization getting saturated with the space as the space expands. Um, and I don't think it's a bad thing or a good thing. Like everything else, it was beautiful because it brought everyone here. That's why 90% of the people are here is because people were making millions of dollars in board apes. Um, but what happened is I see it as a catalyst of bringing entrepreneurs here, but now the ones we've had that time, like I was saying before, to shake everyone out. And the ones that really identify something that they value and something they want to work with and expand, then they're still here like you and I. Um, and so with that in mind, I've this year specifically, I've been really thinking about critical thinking and just widening my perspective in terms of uh, my time scale and where I'm setting my goals. Um, and so with, like I was speaking about before with the open source information and steps I'm taking towards achieving that I'm moving. I already have, I would say moved my thought of alpha completely to media and education in terms of making information and education completely widespread and available. Um, and like, like I said, I was on the panel the other day and it was interesting because people, they asked me questions about <clears throat> how I alpha call sort of acknowledging that I do it differently and in that sort of fashion. And, and um, it was interesting because um, I have received judgment for it, for it previously, but I found that now I just, I'm just comfortable not even putting in the, the templated parts of alpha call in like the entry and exit positions and stuff. But yeah, like all of my stuff has completely gone to, to education and understanding and sort of long form um, and different forms of packaging that information. Um, mm -hmm. So I, that's the way I see the space going. I, I see alpha callers as what, as how it filled the hole for me in terms of coming into the space. It, they were my educator and my teacher for industries that traditional industries I had no idea about. And then new emerging industries that no one had any idea about. Um, and everyone pretended they knew about. So, yeah, I just see that that same ethos coming out, but in a more formal and scaled format. Um, I think that exclusivity mindset is one of the biggest limitations with alpha calling. I think like scaling like everything else is needed um, for progression. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree with you. Let's talk a little bit about the anonymous culture or the pseudonymous culture, right? One of the things that worries me a lot with the space and especially with the um, alpha calling culture is that a lot of people are anon, which means that there isn't real consequences for like, there's no way that you can find them and say, hey, why did you say this to me? Right. Like, and, and, and that opens a whole can of worms in its own way. What are your thoughts on that? And, and how do you see in that changing as uh, the space matures? Yeah, it's interesting. It's that has sort of brought up a lot of moral and ethical questions, um, philosophical questions with me as well, just in terms of like the value add or the value take with that. And 
I think it's interesting because it's one of the first places where we've actually seen a functioning like financial system where that's that sort of dynamic is embedded in the culture and it's accepted and not even just accepted, but mostly widespread. Um, and I think it's cool because the fact that you can come in here, give yourself a name and embody who you want to embody is somewhat powerful. Um, and I think that plays into the whole thing where people can come in and sort of be, not be someone else, but be who they've named and who they've created. Um, and then that's also scary when people come in and they don't have the best incentives or the best motives. And so I think with that, it's difficult. It's difficult, like with a lot of things in crypto, to put a clear answer to how to fix that. I think in terms of me, like how I would transparently answer that is I feel accountable for the people because I have relationships and connections to the people, but also everything I've built where it's like, I don't have skin in the game in terms of my government ID and my government name and my government sort of finances, but all of my crypto finances, my crypto ID, my crypto sort of affiliations, all the relationships I have, that's what's tied into it. And honestly, in terms of where I'm at in my life and where I'm viewing my future, that's more important to me than this other stuff. So it's like, that's where I would say that comes in. So for me personally, the network and the reach that you have is something that's so huge and the people that you know, so giving that up would be giving up all of it. Um, but in terms of the scale of stuff, obviously, I can't tell you how people can do this stuff with these models. Like I don't understand it. I genuinely don't. I've been scammed my first two months in the space. I got scammed like three grand <laughs> on a bridge or something. And then that was when three grand was a, a ton to me. And I was just like, wow. But yeah, I don't understand the morals, the lack of morals that and ethics that people have. And I think it's something that's going to be interesting to see how we can add it's always interesting to see how we can add sort of resistance to bad actors in a place where we value free market capitalism and decentralization and sovereignty. So I'm not sure to answer your question, honestly, I'm not sure what we do about that issue or, or where that goes. I think, again, like everything in relative terms, it's not good or bad. It's how people use it. I think as the space scales and as more people come in and not just financially it saturates, but everything saturates as a result of that scaling. And I feel like that'll come along with it too. So we'll just yeah. have to see. Yeah, I think with decreasing financialization of, of the space, I really hope that we don't find a solution for the whole royalty thing because, because I think that is going to really decrease, you know, the financialization of, of uh, the space, which would be mm -hmm. good because then it will uh, enable people to focus on using the technology um, and actually building real meaningful uh, products. Um, so last question, you mentioned about the person that lost money. So this whole idea of losing money is something that I think it's interesting to discuss in the context of buying a token um, because like at least in my case I would buy a token to be part of a community and as long as I'm getting value from that community and by value I don't mean airdrops I mean whatever what which was the reason for getting into that community so if it was about networking and connections you know um, then that's what I'm looking for right then in that sense everything has a price so there is this concept in uh, Web3 right now that 
you buy a token and you expect the price of that token to go up. So people are not thinking of it as membership in a community, but they're thinking of it as an investment. And this is problematic because to build a business that is generating revenue and, and is generating a return, first of all, then that becomes a different kind of investment. It becomes a securities investment. Secondly, it takes time. You know, it does. it's not something that, you know, happens all the time uh, very quickly, um, you know, based on hype. Um, and of course, in the bull market, that was possible because, um, because a lot of new people were coming into the space. There was a lot of hype. So people sort of got, got used to that. And in some ways, we need to probably redefine what it means to lose money. Like if you buy a membership of, uh, you know, if you mint something uh, as a membership of a community and you go in and you use quite a lot of resources, uh, you know, whether it's content, whether it's like various kinds of things that you may be getting from that, but that's value created. And for you to expect to still be able to, to sell that six months later at a, you know, at a higher price, it sort of doesn't make sense. And that expectation then generates um, a lot of troubles because it creates a sense of um, unhappiness within the community and it affects the, the brand and the creators. So it's a dilemma that has been created in this space. So, so what are your thoughts on that? this whole concept of losing money, how do we explain it to people that maybe you haven't necessarily lost money? You used a service or a product for, for a time and you then decide you didn't want to uh, continue to use it. And the fact that you get a bit of your money back, you know, is probably a good thing, you know, uh, for you to expect to actually have a, a return that then that becomes a, a, an investment. So then you've done it for the wrong reason. And of course, then, I say that as somebody who just lost over hundred grand on, you know, my proof pass. So, so that was a difficult one. Um, and uh, where I think the problem with that one was that I bought when it was very expensive because I wanted to go to uh, NFT NYC proof event, but then I actually ended up not being able to go because I needed a visa and I didn't know that I needed a visa. And so, so basically it didn't fulfill its purpose. And I, and then I didn't get the kind of value that I hoped from uh, the, the actual community itself. So, um, so I decided to exit that. And then of course, by the time I decided to exit, it was, we were in a different market, but in general, uh, I can see how that can happen. But I also think that it's, uh, it kind of doesn't make sense that you buy something and you make use of it and you still want to sell it at a profit. So, so that, that's something that kind of like, I think we need to address. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that last thought was <clears throat> really interesting. I haven't really thought about it in that perspective. I think that whole dynamic is really fascinating, traders versus collectors. Um, and then even the core value props of a project and then the reason why people are buying. <clears throat> I think there's a huge disconnect there. Um, and that's also something that will develop with the space. Um, I think it's it's a hard one to judge because it's like I agree with the speculation that's embedded within sort of the the trading that goes on it annoys me when there are projects that I do have affiliation to and I do know the founder and I see through all of sort of the the talk about trading and then I see the core sort of heart and soul behind the project and how that's just getting flipped around 
and not even thought about. And I agree that that's not good. But one thing I heard recently is that without these traders that are drawing the volume and creating that financial sort of speculation, there wouldn't be all these people within the market. So it's like, I think long-term, it's really, really unhealthy. I think short-term to inject activity and people into the market like the past year, it's a huge catalyst for the actual growth and talent within the market um, at the right times. But yeah, it's hard. I work in the in the art sector within Web3, like I mentioned. So there's a lot of collectors there. Um, and then that sort of contrasts who I work with in the alpha sector of the industry, which, where it's all completely traders. And I don't think that, like you were saying about the hyper-financialization, it's sustainable. Like this is not a sustainable market. <clears throat> and I think if you are a trader, you need to understand that. And I think we're seeing within the market now, even more so what you're speaking about, um, where it's like people buy and they just expect it to go up. Um, but when everyone has that mindset where they want to buy it, expect it to go up and sell, then it just goes straight down. Um, so it's interesting. I think that comes with the health of the space. And honestly, just uh, like I've said with all the other things, scaling. Um, and I know we've seen a lot of stuff recently about the public view of NFTs and crypto being negative, but I think maybe embedding NFT technology within the wider society without actually letting them know there's that financial, like directly telling them that like you can go sell this, like say the Starbucks one, people are getting it for Starbucks then some of them find out they can sell it and they sell it, but they're not going on Starbucks thinking, I want to make 50 bucks right now. They're thinking, oh, this is cool. So maybe it's just the way that we actually put it out to people and, and have the value prop in terms of the reason why people came into this market was to make money because they came in for board apes going to a million. But if we get people to come in for other reasons, then that's just secondary. Um, and so that's, again, my focus with my alpha calling where it's not purely financial, but education and understanding the technology, the things that actually make people curious. Um, I'm just trying to think about the future and like, and like at a scaled level, what are in this niche crazy market? What are the things that get leveled out like that? Yeah, definitely. As somebody who is, um, you know, an uh, alpha caller in this space and, and uh, educator, um, you have a responsibility to explain this to people and, and you are doing it, which is great. You know, you know, this is why um, I was happy that we could have this conversation. Well, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate having you here, Bonglo. And uh, it was uh, it was really eye-opening and I, I hope that other people listening to it also take something away from it and uh, learn more about the space and that uh, everybody is more careful uh, that that we all understand the game theory uh, of how this works. If everybody wants to exit, then all of a sudden everything comes down, right? Like it's, uh, we just need to think about the fact that we need to think of these things as like more like memberships rather than investment, because these are not investment um, uh, vehicles. It can be, and I'm not saying that it can't be, it can be if you uh, stick with a project long enough in a similar way, if you start to think of it in a similar way to an angel investor and, and allow that project to, to grow and, and, uh, and expand, 
but um, when the space is so small, uh, you know, and, and everybody wants to make money now, then everybody's going to lose, or at least, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people are going to lose, right? So um, thank you for sharing your knowledge and, and your um, experience with me. Yeah, a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. <clears throat> yeah, just one, one last little bit that'll wrap up, I think, touches on what I've been saying, but it's like, I'd say one of the biggest perspective shifts and things that I realized personally coming into the space, going from consumer to producer and facilitator working on the back end is just realizing that the space is still in such infancy. There's no rule book. There are no templates. No one knows what's going on. No matter how much they pretend that they know what's going on and what's about to happen, no one knows. Like if they think that they know, then they probably know less. Um, and then so just taking that on for yourself, like people have these higher positions and higher reaches, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're better off to tell someone what to do or know more about a specific situation or, or something like that. So don't take that as discouragement, but take that as self-belief that you can just go and do these things yourself if you really want to. Um, and that's the biggest thing that I try and instill with with my alpha calling is handing over the the tool set to tra traverse the market themselves, the understanding to actually make the right decisions and and see those dynamics at play and stuff. And so I think just taking that in, the fact that really no one knows what's going on is so huge. Um, but yeah, I really, really appreciate your time and I appreciate you, are, you getting me up today. Um, it's been Thank a pleasure. You. Thank you. No, that's you're absolutely right. And I'm an example of somebody who is doing this outside of the rule book, you're, you know, like building, building it in a different way. Um, thank you. So uh, I hope to have you back at some point in the future. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Bonglo and our deep dive into all things Alpha calling. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also available on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.